Hello and welcome back to another episode of Osteo Talk, the podcast dedicated to the advocacy of the osteopathic profession. I'm your host, Yasmin Gadashi, and today I'll be joined by Abby Santanello to discuss her experiences studying to become a DO in the United States. Hi everyone, my name is Abby Santanello and I am a first year pediatric resident at Staten Island University Hospital. So Abby, could you tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to take this career path and decide to become a DO? For me, I was actually fortunate to have the opportunity to grow up with my mom who was trained as an MD and my father who was trained as a DO. So I was familiar with and learned about the DO pathway very early on and was able to read about the different trainings um, as I was embarking on that journey to apply to medical school. The reason I applied to be a DO was because I, I, I really valued how they trained their students to look at the patient as a whole person. And when we see that, we, we mean that we don't always look at a symptom and then name and diagnosis. We look at them as a whole person. What else is going on in their life? Well, how, how do these symptoms and disease processes relate to um, maybe how they feel and how, how they were doing as, as a whole person? Because we don't just see it as a symptom treatment comparison, but something where we can, we're looking to sustain and create health for them. And that's a, that's a bigger picture that involves looking at the whole person. So I would say that's the main reason. I'd say the second reason I chose to become an osteopathic physician is because our, we actually learn osteopathic manipulative treatment, which is a hands-on approach and another way to diagnose and treat our patients. And this was, this is a education that started um, back even honestly centuries ago and has developed and the osteopathic physicians have maintained it till today and still continue to practice it. It acts as an additional way that we can help to treat a patient. It doesn't replace anything that we traditionally do like blood work or imaging um, or you know surgical treatments, but it acts as an additional um, additional skill in our toolbox that might help a patient get better, healthier, faster. Excellent. I always love hearing about people's sort of reasons and inspiration behind studying for their degrees. And could you tell us a little bit more about the differences, perhaps, between the MD degree and the DO degree in the US? It's very. It's exactly the same as the MD process. Med school is equivalent here. It's four years, and we take uh, what they call our COMLEX um, level one and level two um, during medical school. One happens after your second year of when you finish your preclinical studying, and the second one happens after your third year, um, after you've done one year of rotations. And when we do that, um, that's what we, those are the tests that we take when we apply then for residency afterwards. Um, the difference though, as of now, and a lot of this is actively changing, um, is our MD students take what they call step one and step two. Same materials on both exams. We actually take the COMLEX exam, which has all the material that the MDs take, but it additionally includes the osteopathic manipulative treatment that I was explaining before. So um, many students also take both 
versions. We take the MD and the DO version because while we are clinically and um, with our degree regarded as equal in this country, many people feel like taking the MD board um, gives us an additional option when applying to residencies for some residency programs that prefer to only look at the MD board exam. Um, for me though, in addition to that, I actually decided to take some gap years between college and medical school because I thought it would better prepare me and equip me for entering in, into medicine knowing I was doing exactly what I wanted to be doing and uh, just being more well-rounded and understanding the healthcare system and I know I'll get into a little bit more of that later. How much hands-on technique do you get taught and do you feel as though it's used quite frequently in practice? So it's incredibly hands-on for us in our first two years um, as we learn about osteopathic manipulative medicine. We spend four hours a week in those first two years in lab learning the techniques and diagnostic approaches and treatment options um, for for various ways from head to toe we start with the spine and then we work on extremities in our second year we do cranial and some more specific um, diagnoses so we build on what we do first year as we go into second year but in addition to those four hours a week in lab we spend another two hours um, on the theory and the background of it which complements that lab work in addition to that i also took on an osteopathic medicine research project where i was looking at somatic dysfunctions in runners actually and so that provided additional time um, with the hands-on manipulation and also the theory of osteopathic medicine and then from there, it's really what you want to make of it in your residency and your clinical career. Um, the program that I am in does not have any requirements for osteopathic medicine, but there still are many osteopathic designated uh, residency programs that will incorporate, incorporate osteopathic manipulative medicine into their clinical education. Throughout your education, you were part of SOMA, a student-led organization. Could you tell us more about what this organization um, sort of does and stands for? I'll talk to you a little bit about the Student Osteopathic Medical Association, SOMA, the organization I was involved in for a majority of my medical school journey. Um, so SOMA is dedicated to enhancing and, and advocating for um, the best interest of our students in a policy format. Um, and they are directly affiliated with the AOA, the American Osteopathic Association. SOMA is the largest network of students, osteopathic medical students across the country, and the AOA is the organization that we join after we graduate um, and become physicians. So my role in SOMA began as a student, and I saw so many opportunities at my local chapter level that I just wanted to start and tackle and initiate. So I became the president of my chapter my second year and had a unique opportunity to attend all these conferences um, from DC, Capitol Hill, walking for DO Day and advocating for osteopathic physicians and some key goals that we had to um, working with the leadership at our summer leadership meeting in Chicago. And then finally, um, as president of our my local chapter to attend OMED, which is the largest educational conference for osteopathic physicians in, in um, Baltimore that year. And 
it was a phenomenal opportunity that showed me how we can advocate and stand up um, to represent our osteopathic medical students. My third year, though, I transitioned to um, being the director of scholarships and grants for the SOMA Foundation, which is the philanthropic arm of SOMA that supports scholarships and grants for, um, for students uh, who are trying to do research projects and travel to conferences and do service work in the area. So I really enjoyed that experience and learning the philanthropic angle that for my fourth year of medical school, I became the chairperson of the foundation and had the unique opportunity to work with the AOF, the American Osteopathic Foundation that supports um, physicians philanthropically and we partnered with that group um, creating this like new relationship so we could not only enhance our number of scholarships but reach more students with opportunities and uh, cool projects and neat initiatives so that was a great opportunity to be a part of that group. That's actually something that's very inspirational I think that a lot of osteopathic students can learn a lot from. I don't actually think we have something um, similar to that here in the UK. I'm not sure about other um, sort of student bodies on an international scale. Um, but what are some perhaps aspects of SOMA that you would like to see replicated or amplified overseas by other students that study osteopathic medicine? As far as other groups like that internationally, I, I, I'm not familiar with any, but I, I think um, what SOMA does in the SOMA Foundation, I think is something worth worth replicating and bringing to your own country in a way to advocate and represent the the needs and goals and dreams of osteopathic medical students because I think what SOMA has done and what SOMA Foundation continues to accomplish is pretty unique and incredible for a student-run and student-led student, student -led organization. More specifically, some aspirations of SOMA that could be replicated are, are their focus on advocacy. They find an issue and they team up with people that are similarly passionate about this and think that there could be improvements and um, oftentimes these relate directly back to our education and and how our how our education is structured um, and they um, gather engagement at the local level I think that's what's neat is they teach you how to write resolutions as a student and then you bring that in front of the um, SOMA chapters at our conferences and you actively debate and vote on these things in front of the board. And I think that's truly the way to amplify um, students' voices on a national and international level is to start at the grassroots level and empower the people that you represent because that's a way to make positive change. And Abby, we previously touched a bit on your passion for business. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? So I know we also talked about my passion for business and how my gap years were maybe a little more on the unique side, but how I believe they've not only enhanced my understanding of healthcare, but um, to me have created another facet and angle of something that I'm incredibly passionate about. So after I graduated from Notre Dame, I actually decided to do a gap year. It was a master's of science in entrepreneurship. And I thought after that, I would go directly into medical school, but I, I actually fell in love with innovation, especially in a healthcare lens, and I had this unique opportunity to help create a surgical device, um, and it was truly a back-of-a-napkin idea that I was able to work on and bring to life as a real surgical device by the end of my, by the end of my uh, master's year there, um, and at that time, I 
I just wanted to see another angle of healthcare and business before applying to medical school. Didn't feel like the right next step yet. So I worked for Cancer Treatment Centers of America in their administrative fellowship program, um, where I had the opportunity to work on some pretty major administrative projects under underneath the C-suite team and um, and start some start some initiatives there. And it gave me a great angle into the healthcare administration and how it works on the other side of what the doctors do. Um, and I think that was very valuable knowledge for me in a place that I could see myself integrating into my career as a physician later on. Um, but I also realized at that time that I wanted that clinical, um, I, I wanted that clinical knowledge and that clinical expertise. And I knew becoming a physician was the right next answer. So at that time I decided to embark on the application process, which takes about a year. So when I did that, I um, stepped away from that administrative role and decided to um, work on that startup, the product that we had created from my master's program. I decided to work on putting a team together so we could get that company off the ground as I was applying to medical school. So in that third gap year, I lived in San Francisco and was working on starting up this company and having a little fun um, you know, getting it into hospitals and getting into hospitals nationwide. Um, and then at that time, I was accepted into medical school, embarked on that in the summer of 2018 while simultaneously um, keeping this company up and going for a bit. And did you ever feel like you had to sort of juggle between the two or um, were you able to find that um, business and medicine actually work really well together hand in hand and complement each other and that you were able to sort of combine these two passions of yours so what i want to express here with my background in business and how i was able to integrate too is these are two of my passions and to me i i never felt like i had to pick one or the other one is going to take the lead more than the other at a certain time uh, for example right now i'm in residency so focusing on the clinical aspect but I believe that there's a power in being able to combine both. And then I also know that down the road that uh, that I'm going to be able to put both together and that I, I won't just have to choose because I don't see myself as just a clinical physician. I'm going to want to involve business and my education and background in business with healthcare and clinical medicine. And I want to integrate startups and let that kind of open the door for where my clinical clinical skills go because I think there's a great opportunity to improve healthcare broadly by having that passion for innovation and fixing things um, with that education and direct experience with patient care as a clinical physician. It's um, quite interesting that you'd say that because I completely agree and I think that particularly here in the UK where um, osteopathy is practiced uh, primarily in in sort of private practice so I think the business element of it is more prominent which leads me on to my next question is do you get sort of taught business models at your university um, prior to graduating on how best to go out starting a medical business? So for us in our osteopathic medical schools we actually are not taught any bit of business or administrative side of medicine we learn maybe the very basics about how Medicare and Medicaid work which are the government-run services here but we don't get an education in how to run a practice or or the other aspects or angles of healthcare, which 
I have always believed is, are essential to being a successful physician. Um, things like basic finances and administrative administrative structure in hospitals are essential for a physician to understand and they really quite truly if they don't get that education in school or in another format they're only going to just be learning it as their physician down the road on the run so for me it was important to have that background before entering medical school and it's something that i would like to see integrated into um integrated into the education and the future of our doctors because now more than ever our doctors need to be well-rounded not just clinically um adept but also adept on the business side because that's just where and how the medical field is transitioning so for this generation i do think it's important to have that diversified education and background business will always be beneficial and i think being able to understand private practice, which we're going away from and shifting to, you know, hospital employees, understanding how a hospital structures work is invaluable. So I'm incredibly appreciative of that background and then also my experiences in in policy because I think that will help make me a more well-rounded physician later on. And lastly, um, how do you start a medical business? So this has been one of the most exciting parts so far for me of residency is they throw you in and you immediately see opportunities to improve things. And that might be my my business background and my like passion, my itch for innovation and fixing things, but I quickly saw opportunities for how you can make a process better or a, a true product that's used in the operating room better for patients and that outcome. So um, I think that's that's exactly where it starts, and that starts by being involved. I couldn't do a lot of this without being a physician first, so that's why I say an education in both is very important. So it starts with defining that opportunity and seeing that gap, seeing what is and what it could be, and then learning everything you can about it. Then you got to validate that need from other people. See if they're experiencing the same challenge or the same issue with that and describe it to them and see if the problem that you witnessed or experience is truly um, something that bothers other people too. And then you might be onto something. If you get that reassurance and you continue to shape the problem and the opportunity, you might find yourself starting to design a solution. And then from there, you need to find some experts and key supporters and your physician champions to help you obtain the resources and get yourself on the, on the right path to creating a solution to a problem that many people experience. For me, um, at that point in time, I look for like business plan competitions and ways that I could get our brand out there and ways that I could find mentors and key supporters to help us and help me and, and fill in the gaps and the education and the leadership that that we needed. So I definitely think if you are interested in starting a business one day, it starts with being present and being aware every day of what you're doing and maybe where there's an opportunity, what you could make better. Thank you so much, Abby, for being on today's episode. I think a lot of our listeners will have gotten a lot of insight into the way the education system works in the US, how sort of to combine different passions and, and how they can actually work well with uh, what you may be currently pursuing and also thinking about how to take the osteopathic profession further particularly for the new sort of upcoming generation of osteopaths and current osteopathic students and how we can implement things that we 
perhaps see around the world that aren't currently being done in um, our own respective countries um, and yeah and just taking this you know advocating this amazing profession and and taking it as as far as possible and, and finding new ways to tell people about all of the amazing work that we do thank you so much for having me on this podcast I think it's um, incredibly ambitious and pretty neat to see how you're comparing the osteopathic medical education um, from country to country and what that means to be an osteopathic physician in the world I hope that as a few more months of residency go by I'll better understand what it's like to be an osteopathic physician in in this country and um, and how it's changed from being a student the past four years so very excited about that next step of the journey but as always please reach out to the podcast and i'm available to contact if there's any questions about medicine or business or combining the two i um i would love to be assistance and and love to see people take their passions and hone them and live them out so thank you so much thank you so much for listening to today's episode with abby santanella If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and share this show. You can also connect with me on my Instagram page at osteotalkpodcast where you can find resources and information about osteopathy and updates on upcoming episodes available on Fridays. Thank you for listening and goodbye.